Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending with Timory. I'm Patrick Conley sitting in for Timory tonight. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us, whether you're listening on air or online at relevantradio.com or over the Relevant Radio app. You are very welcome tonight, and I hope you're as excited about I am. Uh, but about tonight's show, as I am, you know, I I will say that uh, I'll I'll take this moment just to put in a little plug that if you're interested, you can check out the local relevant radio show that I do for the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis called Practicing Catholic at practicingcatholicshow.com. We also have podcasted all of our interviews, so you can search for Practicing Catholic Show on your favorite podcasting platforms as well as the normal social me- social media outlets. And if you could give us a listen and a follow, wow. That'd be great. Well, it's Monday on Trending with Timory, and that means it's happy hour. This hour, we want to focus in on happiness and how we can more fully live the life that God intends us to live and thereby be made perfectly ourselves to become fulfilled and receive that happiness, which, as St. John Henry Newman put it, God means to give us. He wants to give us happiness. But there are lots of promises of happiness out there that don't fulfill many, many things that seem to promise happiness, and quite a few of them feel pretty good. But if they don't match up with God's plan for creation and God's plan even for our own individual lives, they ultimately steal away at our happiness. The moral life that we're called to live as Catholics is not to restrict our happiness. In fact, it's just the opposite. The moral instruction that God has given his people is precisely for our happiness, that we may be most fully ourselves. So with that as our backdrop, I'm very excited. As I said at the top of the show, I'm very excited about tonight's show. I'm excited to welcome our guest on Trending with Timory tonight, someone that many of our listeners will know from right here in Relevant Radio amongst many other venues. And if you're not familiar with him, I'm sure you'll want to know more after tonight. Father Robert Spitzer, SJ, PhD, is the president of the Magis Center for Friesen and Faith and the Spitzer Center. He was the president of Gonzaga University from 1998 to 2009, and he's the author of many books, including Healing the Culture, Finding True Happiness, Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life, The Light Shines On in the Darkness, The Soul's Upward Yearning, and God So Loved the World. Father Spitzer, welcome. Pleasure to be talking with you. Pleasure to be talking with you, too. I'm I'm excited to be talking about happiness with you, and I'm talking about your new book as well, which was not in that that uh, lengthy list that I just gave. You've just recently <laughs> published the Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church: A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings, and I yeah. want to get into that, Father. But you know what? I got to start with the familiar. So, how are you doing, sure. there, Father? 
I'm doing great. I'm, you know, the Maja Center's doing great. We're, we've just finished a high school curriculum and in intellectual apologetics that were, you know, the uh, science-based evidence for God, the soul, and Jesus um, for high schoolers. And um, that's getting out to so many different high schools around the country. And I'm doing a lot of lecturing on that. But uh, <clears throat> keeping busy is, um, is doing the right thing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen to that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me, so as I mentioned at the, at the, in the introduction to the show, um, we like to focus on Mondays of, of happiness and happy hour, as we call it here on Trending with Timory. And so I, maybe we'll just start there, Father. If, if I were to ask you, what does true happiness mean? How would you answer that question? Well, true happiness in the end, well, you you can look at it functionally, right? So true happiness is doing what God intended for you, doing the kind of love that God intended for you, um, refraining from kinds of conduct that God didn't intend for you. But if you do that, you will wind up finding your true dignity. You're going to not only be spiritually fulfilled, you're going to be emotionally fulfilled. That is to say, <clears throat> you're going to have good emotional health, but going away from what God intends for you, you're going to have very poor emotional health. And by the way, I can show this later on in the program through purely secular studies that show the dramatic difference between, say, obeying or disobeying the moral teaching of the Catholic Church, which is Jesus's uh, teaching about what morality, what love, what the meaning of life is really meant to be according to the Creator and Redeemer. So wow. um, I think uh, if we do that, we can show uh, tremendous uh, differences in emotional health, spiritual health, relational health, and marital health. So mm-hmm. if we follow God's way, we follow those teachings especially those controversial teachings of the Catholic Church that nobody seems to like, but they are the path to true emotional, spiritual, marital, and relational health. And um, as I said, secular surveys from the Archives of General Psychiatry, from university studies, from the Pew Survey, Gallup Survey, and other secular institutions— will prove that dramatically. Mm. And um, so, but I think uh, we could just start there, but there's other views of happiness, all right? I call them level one, two, three, and four. Uh, level one is the, the thought that the happiness can come from uh, pleasure and material things. Uh, I would just call it, you know, the uh, uh, lightus in Latin. It's happiness, but it really means happiness. It comes from a you know, uh, an ice cream cone or happiness that comes from having a Mercedes 500 E-Class with leather upholstery and feeling the German engineering going around the, <laughs> the, the, the curves. So, nice, yeah. yeah and then uh, a level two, which is our culture's main, right? This is the kind of happiness that comes from ego comparative satisfaction. So when I am achieving more than you, and I'm uh, more popular than you, more intelligent than you, more um, uh, athletic than you, oh, surely never will be the case, Uh, more, um, you know, uh, uh, accounted more handsome than you, more um, uh, opportunities than you, more promotions than you, more status than you, why I'm very happy. But if I find myself in the losing position, uh, 
I tend to be very unhappy if I have made that my one true happiness. If that's what I think happiness really is, and I'm banking on that, and I'm in the losing position, uh, I'm going to be filled with jealousy, fear of failure, fear of loss of esteem, uh, depression, inferiority, uh, contempt, ego rage, and ego blame, to mention but a few. Wow. So, you know, basically this is not going to be happening. Now, when you think about the fact that over 70% of the people in this culture believe that ego comparative happiness, who's achieving more, who's achieving less, who's got more power, less power, more status, less status, more popularity, less popularity, more intelligence, less intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if we put that as the number one happiness level, you can be sure you will be depressed, empty, alienated, and in addition to that, high amounts of panic disorders, uh, high amounts of major psychiatric uh, uh, problems, um, much higher rates of suicidal contemplation, and we'll talk about all of that uh, in a moment. Mm. Now there's level three happiness, and now we're getting out of just the pointing toward me stuff. Because level three happiness is really contributive happiness. So when I make a difference to my children or to my spouse or to my family or to my workplace or to my parish or to, um, you know, my uh, my apostolate in in combating atheism or to whatever, uh, as I'm making a contribution which is helpful to people, I get another kind of happiness. It feels very different. It's kind of a jolt of spirit, as it were, uh, you know, that I'm making a difference, that my life um, is really making a positive difference to people beyond myself. And that makes me come alive. It gives me a kind of an energy and a surging purpose that, you know, if you don't have that level three, uh, you won't have. Now, that feels very different from level two happiness, right? Ego comparative satisfaction can feel very good. That's the, but it's very different from how level three feels, this surge of purpose and satisfaction and, and goodness within oneself. Um, yeah. But that's... Uh, uh, and, uh, and finally, we go to level four happiness, which, of course, is what I just defined. Mm-hmm. It's trying to do the will of God for me. It's trying uh, to have a transcendent life, a faith-filled life, where I'm trying to be who the Creator and Redeemer meant me to be by following His way. And I think, like I said, I can prove that statistically with good secular studies. Yeah, excellent. Our guest tonight on Trending with Timory is Father Robert Spitzer, uh, and he's already laying it out there. I hope you've all been taking notes. This is very good <laughs> stuff, Father. Um, so level one, level two, level three, and level four happiness. And uh, and I can I can already, as you were enumerating them, I was already thinking of instances in my own life that, uh, yes, I have pursued happiness down each one of those levels. And uh, hopefully, more often than not, nowadays, I'm trying, shooting for that level four happiness. And uh, we want to talk about, too— um, we want to talk about your your new book, which actually centers right around these same topics, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, a defense of her controversial moral teachings. You hinted at this, Father, uh, recently published by Ignatius Press, and it's the third in a trilogy, um, the first two books being Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, and the second book being Escape from Evil's Darkness. And uh, can you just outline a little bit for uh, for our listeners, Father, what was your thought behind these three volumes and how they would interact one with another? 
Well, unfortunately, our culture is kind of living in a state of denial. And I just thought, if we're ever going to get out of the malaise that so many of our young people feel, if we're ever going to get out of these hugely increasing rates of suicide, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, homicides in our young people, I mean, 56% every 10 years before COVID, right? Every 10 years, you can count on a 56% increase in suicides, a 61% increase in depression and anxiety, and a 22% increase in homicides, et cetera, et cetera, in our young population. Wow. That's a population that's under 20. Now, you think about that for just one minute, and you think, wow, how long can this continue before the whole culture starts imploding in on itself, as it were, in a cultural malaise. The very kind of cultural malaise which people like, um, you know, uh, Eliade and, and others predicted would happen uh, as the, um, you know, what he calls non-religious man became more and more popular, mm. um, you know, within or accepted within academia. He said, you watch. You can just expect all this stuff to happen, and almost like a prophecy, except he was an academic, uh, essentially, um, you know, um, uh, he, he, he showed, you know, that um, this is exactly what's going to happen. And we're mm. now, we're taking the, statistically, we're just following his formula. So this fellow, Marcia Eliado, probably the greatest philosopher of religion, um, you know, in terms of cataloging all the religions and religious influences and so forth. Uh, remarkable guy. But anyway, non-religious man, uh, he said, would follow all these trends. And indeed, we're carrying, out, carrying it out in our culture just as best we can. Of course, I'm being sarcastic here. Yes, so, yes. Um, yeah, so the, the idea is, um, um, I thought, I got to, let's, let's just get to it. What, what are we missing here? Where is our scotoma, our, our self-blinding? Well, the first self-blinding in the culture is the devil. Everybody would like, as C.S. Lewis once implied in the screw tape letters, to believe that the devil is just a little cartoon character with red tights and horns and a, a little trident, and, and um, you know, he's kind of a, a comic sort of medieval leftover. But in point of fact, what I show in that book, especially in Chapter 3, where I just go right through all of these diaries of exorcists um, who have um, uh, you know, noted what happened in these possession cases that are very well documented, you just take a look at what's going on here. You're never going to stop uh, thinking after you read those things, the devil is not real. Very, very real. Now, of course, most people say, well, I've never seen a possession case or an obsession case. True enough. But let's just take a look at what Jesus said. Did he believe in the devil? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. His yep. second core mission was yeah. in his own person to defeat evil and Satan himself. So, of course, of course, he believed in the devil. Number three, well, let's just take a look at your own life. And let's just take a look at St. Ignatius's rules for the discernment of spirits. And let's just see if you're following these trends. So I go through all the various trends, um, you know, that uh, Ignatius predicts. If you go ahead and do X, you can see this happening and so forth and so on. And just say, if, if this sounds like you, 
uh, when you're in the state of temptation, or if this sounds like you when you're rationalizing, if this sounds like you uh, when you uh, find yourself um, in the in the midst of despair, and then of course you you find the devil turns on you and accuses you, etc. Then I would just say before you cancel out the old devil, you probably ought to consider he's right around you right now. And if you are kind of faltering in your faith, why, he's at your elbow whispering into your ear. And so the, the, the whole point of the book was not to scare people, just to get people to take cognizance of there is a tremendous force for evil, and he has one thing on his mind, and that's to get you into hell. But he wants you to choose hell. Indeed, that's the rule of God's whole master plan. God's not going to let him just sort of push you in hell. No, no, you'll have to choose it ever so gradually. You'll have to let, you know, entertain all of his deceits ever so gradually. You'll have to entertain all of his temptations more and more and more, and all of his rationalizations that go along with it. But eventually, as you go more and more into the darkness, as you follow him more and more, or it becomes harder and harder to turn and leave behind all the so-called satisfactions that you're getting from him. Don't worry. As he get, gets you good and addicted way down um, you know, the, the path, he's going to turn on you. you know. you're, everybody's got to pay the price. He's going to turn on you. And it's going to be really hard to, to get yourself to get back to church and confession. You always can. There's never a, a point of no return. You can always go back, but it can get very, very hard to do that. You can build up so much reticence and so much, you know, belief in these in these rationalizations and deceits and so forth and so on that the, you know to get over the threshold of the confessional. Forget about it. Yeah. You're just not gonna. You're not gonna do it. And so, well, you, you you could do it, but I mean, the point is, it gets harder and harder to do so. So my point was just, you know, beware of this force. Do not think hell is uh, is just a little mythological leftover medieval remnant. Um, Jesus meant it when he said, gave all those warnings. This is going to be a place of wailing and grinding of teeth. Don't get yourself into that situation. Turn around when you can. Follow the church of Jesus Christ. Receive his sacraments and follow Jesus' teaching as interpreted by the Catholic Church and get to confession if you've already started going down the road to darkness. So that was the first katoma in our culture. All right, Father, actually, before yeah. you get into the second tome, I do want yeah. you to do that. But, uh, you know, we need to take yeah. a little bit of a break here. Our guest sure. tonight on Trending with Timory is Father Robert Spitzer, SJPHD. You've, you've heard him before, I'm, be- I'm betting, and uh, and you'll, you're hearing him right now. If you do have a question or something you'd like to ask, Father, by the way, our phone lines are open. 888-914-9149 is our number here on Trending, 888-914-9149. My name is Patrick Conley, sitting in for Timory tonight. We're going to be back right after this. Don't go away.
You're listening to Trending with Tim Ring, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. It is happy hour here on Mondays on Trending with Tim Ring. My name is Patrick Conley, sitting in for Tim Ring tonight. And uh, we're just having a grand old time, aren't we, Father? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much so. We're talking about happiness with uh, my very special guest tonight, Father Robert Spitzer, uh, the president of the Magis Center for Reason and Faith and the Spitzer Center and uh, author of many, many books. And we're talking about his most recent uh, offering here in The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings, the third in a series. And you just finished running us through the first tome in the trilogy. And uh, the second tome, why don't you lead us into that one a little bit, Father? Well, I think the second thing is um, uh, the scotoma, which means the self-blinding. <clears throat> the second one is that, well, the Church is a, a nice institution and all, but, <clears throat> you know, I could either uh, uh, find my way to God on my own. I really don't need a Church. And, you know, the Catholic Church is one among many. Um, there's there's all kinds of uh, uh, churches out there, and so, you know, I have a selection. I can, um, you know, I can escape evil's darkness uh, without having to consult the Catholic Church. So um, I decided, well, that's, uh, that's another big thing I, I have to take on, because, <clears throat> first of all, we certainly need a church. And so I try to dispel that myth by looking at, what happens to people who have their own private spirituality? Where do they go? And, of course, if you look at this carefully, you see, well, first of all, they're in a state of confusion. Number two, they don't go very far at all because they don't know where to go. They don't even know who God is in his heart. They may know that there is a God or have a feeling that there is a God. They may have a sense of what God is, maybe that he's unconditional or infinite or unique. But who God is, is there a heaven or a hell? Does God answer prayers? Does he not answer prayers? Does he redeem suffering? Or doesn't he, does he like you? Does he hate you? Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how do you know? How will you know without a source of revelation? And how will you get any definitive authoritative revelation that you can actually check on the certitude of, that you can go back into history and validate, unless you're going to look at a church to get that evidence, to get not only the evidence you need, but to also get the revelation of who God is. So you, you can't do it on your own. You're going to absolutely need a church. And those who say, I don't need a church, you can tell uh, in their so-called spirituality, They've gone nowhere. They just sit there and spin in a circle, admiring all of their options. But which one is right or wrong? All they can do is give it some emotive kind of, you know, uh, context. And, and that's, that's not going to help at all. You know, just some feelings. Feelings float in and they float sure. out. Right. They go away. And, of course, to not have any way of having certitude, any definitive opinion beyond, well, I just think so. That's going to last about five minutes, because anybody who's scrupulous about their own thoughts, you know, is not going to say, you know, I've got a definitive authority. I mean, Luther was the only guy I know who actually convinced himself uh, that he could be his own papacy, as it were, his own definitive magisterium <laughs> with his Bible, and he, he did that for a long time. I don't think he really believed it at the end, but that's a whole other historical debate that I don't mean to get into tonight. The main thing I just want to say is, look, when you really look at this, 
I mean, we need a church desperately. And now you got to say, well, which church? Well, of course, I'm jumping, you know, to the to the conclusion here in the book. Of course, it's the Church of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ is the definitive source of revelation, and I have very good reasons for believing that. Not just His resurrection and glory, not just His gift of the Holy Spirit, not just the fact that all these miracles continue uh, to this very day under His uh, auspices and under His name. Right? These huge miracle of Son of Fatima, or all the you know the, the seven thousand miracles that um, are completely scientifically inexplicable from lures. Or, you know, you, you look at uh, the Guadalupe Tilma alone, et cetera, et cetera. We got a ton of reasons for, for, for thinking that Jesus Christ is the, uh, uh, you know, is the epitome. He's the, the Emmanuel, the, the, the Son of God with us. He is the, the love of God with us. And so if you, if you really look at that, yes, but it's also in his moral teachings. The most mm. unsuspected thing in the world right. is that Jesus Christ you know, it's his moral teachings that show he is also the way, the truth, and the life. Because if you live them out, as I'll explain later in the in the show, uh, you're going to see tremendous increases um, in your emotional health and, and spiritual health, et cetera. Yeah. And then you say, well... Well, where where did you know what did Jesus Christ start a church? Of course, he started a church. I mean, and I I spend half the you know the whole of chapter one just saying here's why Jesus Christ started the Catholic Church. Here's why it is his church and continues to remain his church today. But I mean, the most you know I go through an entire whole section of that first chapter just on Matthew sixteen um, you know um, six, uh, um, Matthew sixteen uh, seventeen through nineteen, and the reason I do that. That, you, know, you are Peter, and upon right. this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall never prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you decline, loose on earth, loosed in heaven, bound on earth, will be bound in heaven. Now you look at that, and you say, what, is that all, what does all that mean? It is a conveyance to Peter, not just a, a special gift for Peter. Uh, the keys to the kingdom is the keys to an office. And this parallels strictly, um, you know, Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, right? When you, and uh, and actually Isaiah twenty-one, twenty-one as well. So you look at those passages where you get the, you know, Isaiah's uh, prophecy, um, you know, against um, uh, um, uh, the the former prophet, and he gives it the keys to the kingdom over to Eliakim, uh, and he says, uh, whoever, um, uh, uh, you know, if you if you uh, whoever's doors are shut. They are shut, and and uh, if they are open, they are open. And you you look at that passage; it parallels so closely what Jesus is saying. Um, you know that these uh, the keys to the kingdom will do that. They'll bound on earth; it will be bound in heaven. You're giving this this guy, this Peter, this office a heavenly authority, and the answer is yes. That's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he promises. So if you if Jesus is giving away heavenly authority, not just to the man Peter, but to the office he's creating, right. namely the keys to the kingdom of heaven office, then you know for, it's not just Peter; it's Peter's successors who get this supreme teaching and juridical authority. So I go through this at some great length, and so the 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 point being. If you think that the Catholic Church is not Jesus' church, 
I don't know what scriptures you're reading, but it certainly is not our New Testament. You can try and explain some of these passages away, but you really can't because you have to do, you know, dive over triple backflips to get out of it. <laughs> Got to so say, the, hermeneutical the, cartwheels is what I've heard. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I right. love it. Well, okay, so <laughs> that that brings us, yes, um, through the second. So just in case people missed it, we're um, we're not even into the third book yet, and I'm I'm cognizant of the time here, Father. I know we've got some things we uh-huh. want to talk about, but um, book uh-huh. one was Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. Book two, Escape from Evil's Darkness. This is all part of the Called Out of Darkness trilogy. And we want to get into the third book recently published by Ignatius Press, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings. Before we get into that, though, Father, I see yeah. that we've got Alexia calling in from Salt oh, Lake sure. City, Utah. Let's take a phone call. So, Alexia, yeah. welcome to Trending with Timory. Hello? Yes. Hello, Alexia. Oh, Good hi. evening. Welcome yeah, to the program. Okay. Oh, oh, hi. Yeah, I just have a question. I heard from a pastor. I'm a Catholic, but I listen to different stations. Um, and he was saying that basically, if you don't surrender all to the, to God, He will not hear your prayers. Well, that is a very unnuanced statement, Alexia, because of course most of us do not surrender all to God. We have a little bit held back here, there, and everywhere. I surely do. I mean, um, there have been some times in my life when I have tried to surrender everything to God, but I mean, if I looked at it and say, well, did I actually do that? Did I hold back a little bit? Do I like my ego a little bit too much? Did I do this over here and then, you know, five minutes later do that over there, et cetera, et cetera? You know, uh, we're human beings. So, I mean, you've you got to be very nuanced when you make a statement like that. The objective of our lives is to surrender all to God, but God will absolutely hear our prayers, because if God doesn't hear my prayers, like, Lord, help me to surrender more, if he doesn't hear that prayer because I'm, I haven't said it perfect, with perfect surrender, then I'm dead. You know, it's like, uh, you remember that book, Catch-22, you know, where you, you, you know, you, you can fly, you know, um, your stated number of missions, but then, you know, if you think you're going insane, well, if you're going insane, then you really can't be insane, so you've got to fly some more missions. So, I mean, the, the, the point is, is if God deprives you of His grace to help you to make a more perfect surrender, how in the world will you ever reach the point of all surrender? So it's a self-contradictory statement. But I, I don't think he meant it that way. I just think he meant the ideal that we're shooting for, where we want to go, is complete, perfect surrender to God. And, and of course, we need His grace every step of the way. So my thought is, pray when you're imperfect. Pray when you're feeling more perfect. Pray when you need forgiveness. Pray all the time. Pray when you're holding things back. Just pray and pray and pray, says St. Teresa of Avila, and in the end result, don't worry. Even in our imperfection, God will reach right into our hearts and pull us up if we intend for that perfect surrender. If that's what we're really looking for, He's going to help us get there through His good grace, which will come in many respects from prayer. Amen to that. Well, Alexia, thank you so much for calling in with the question and uh, for, yeah, being part of Trending with Timory. Father Spitzer, thank you for your answer as well. Let's turn back because um, there's some things I just want to make sure and dive into um, in the mm-hmm. in the remaining time that we have here in this third book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings, published by Ignatius Press and available now. Um, 
And I think, I mean, one of the things that just impresses me with this book, Father, is how many different things you take on. Now, the the church, it's no secret to anybody in the world. The church knows that we have some controversial moral teachings. People outside the church surely do, and they ridicule us oftentimes oh, for yeah. us, that, you know, thinking that, mm-hmm. well, yeah, those those Catholics don't know what they're talking about, that, that sort of thing. But, I mean, mm-hmm. um, you take on all sorts of things in these things from uh, part one is on love and sexuality, so you can imagine what mm-hmm. that includes, but it certainly includes extramarital sex, premarital sex, cohabitation, um, chapter two is all about the, uh, the things like the homosexual lifestyle, pornography, gender change, artificial birth control. Um, then you, then in part two, you start on with matters of life and death. So abortion, eugenics, yeah. in vitro fertilization, embryonic stem cells, physician assisted suicide, euthanasia, self-defense, <laughs> torture. Oh my goodness, father. <laughs> and then to cap it off, um, then you have, uh, some, I mean, you have some application things here too, in part three, oh, yeah. when you talk about charity and social ethics. So right. I, I guess with all these different things, um, is there any one particular topic or subject that really kind of grabbed you or surprised you? You mentioned especially, I know there's references uh-huh. throughout to these secular studies, um, yeah. scientific uh, studies that do not do not have anything to do with, uh, yeah. particularly with the Catholic Church. Anything that really yeah. struck you or that you were really hit by? Yeah, well, I would say that, you know, the, the two most, you know, prominent issues today um, you know, or sexual reassignment surgery, or you know what's called gender affirming um, uh, therapy, which sure. just means giving early hormones to people in preparation for sexual reassignment surgery, or trying to get them uh, closer and closer to the uh, the sex they want to be. Uh, that's one big, huge problem. And we, the the Catholic Church, is very unfairly marginalized for being on the opposite side of that. Um, uh, equation because a lot of people think, hey, you know, you guys are insensitive. I mean, these people can't help themselves. Right. The, the point that the church is trying to make is they don't want to be, the church doesn't want to be insensitive to anybody. They're trying to give a truth of Jesus Christ that they believe will be good for that person. For example, with respect to getting a sexual reassignment surgery, hey, if you go ahead and get that sexual reassignment surgery, um, then you can expect after five years, you know, for five years, you're going to feel great about it. You're going to go, I did the right thing. Then mm-hmm. between five to 10 years, you're going to start having some doubts. By the way, this comes from a 30-year, very uh, excellent longitudinal Swedish study um, that uh, Paul um, uh, McHugh, uh, the, the distinguished professor there at um, uh, Johns Hopkins University, cites, uh, uh, you know, very, uh, I think, uh, importantly. The, the main point, though, is that after about that five years, you're going to start getting some doubts. Then, starting after 10 years, there will be a marked increase in suicide. Now, what will happen between 10 to 15 years is that the suicide rate will shoot up from about 1.6% nationally among people who are not um, in the group that has a sexual reassignment surgery to suddenly 32 to 33% after the sexual. That's a 20 times increase from 1.6% suicides to 32 to 33% suicide, a 20 times increase. Now, all I can tell you is 
There's something wrong with this. This can't be the solution to the anxieties that people are feeling prior to the time when they, you know, get their, they begin their gender-affirming therapy, they begin the hormones to block their normal, um, you know, biological sexual development. And so all of a sudden, you start looking at this and you go, well, wait a minute, what else happens? You have almost immediately after five years, you start working on a five times increase in suicidal contemplation until, of course, you hit that point of 20 times uh, increase in suicides. Now, if you say, well, wait a minute, overall, you know, I mean, there's other things, you know, about the lifestyle, you know, what about, you know, uh, transgender people who are getting gender-affirming therapy? What can you expect just overall about their mortality rate? Expect that the mortality rate will be three times higher. That comes from a very major 50-year study in the Netherlands where uh, the, uh, uh, the, the clinic had actually sponsored the study in the Netherlands was giving the gender-reaffirming therapy. At the very same time, uh, they were noting that the mortality rate of these people by comparison with the, ge- with the uh, general population was three times higher. And what uh, the, um, the prime author of the study noticed is that over the last 50 years, that three times higher mortality rate has never significantly declined. Wow. It's three times higher today, even with all the increases in you know, uh, affirmation, societal affirmation, cultural affirmation. There's something wrong with sexual reassignment surgery. There's something wrong with trying to, ang- to solve the anxiety levels that are happening that cause a person to want to have a sexual reassignment. There's something that's not working. It's not that it, the anxieties, by the way, uh, that, that lead to a desire for um, sexual reassignment do not go away. But there is the buyer's remorse that happens, and then it, it, the impossibility of detransitioning completely, et cetera, et cetera, which right. all of a sudden, after 10 years, becomes demonstrably horrible with a 20 times increase in suicide rate. So the point I'm trying to make is, well, wait a minute here. You know, maybe the Catholic Church is not so bad after all. Maybe because the Catholic Church was not trying to put anybody down. Maybe the Catholic Church is just saying, look at the lifestyle, look at the results, look at these secular studies that have been done, and look at what happens. You say, well, give them what they want. Hey, listen, what do true friends do? If you're a true friend to somebody, and, uh, uh, or you're a, a, a parent who loves their child, you don't say, I know you want to go out and play in the street, Junior. Go ahead and play in the street. You say to yourself, I think I better warn Junior not to do this or set up something whereby we can at least um, you know, make him um, you know, realize what the consequences will be if he goes out and does this again and again, et cetera, et cetera. So a true friend, a true parent, somebody who truly loves you, is not going to just let you walk into the lion's den. Sure. They're going to tell you, to mix a metaphor, but uh, they tell you exactly um, you know, what's going to happen to you if you do this, and you know, you're not going to be able to detransition. And, and just ask them, hey, why has Great Britain suddenly 
you know, stopped completely all the, um, uh, you know, gender-affirming therapy stuff. Why? You know, they were a leader for the last 10 years in all this stuff. Why are they blocking it now? Why are they putting a halt uh, to all this uh, thing? So um, anyway, I'll just leave it with that. With homosexual lifestyle, I'll just simply say you can expect, if you go into that lifestyle, a three times increase in depression, uh, five times increase in panic attacks, a 3.5 times increase in substance abuse, and a a five to seven times increase in suicidal um, uh, contemplation. Uh, You know, I, I, I rest my case. I mean, there's something going on. It's not just stigmatization. Those statistics come from Netherlands studies, very friendly, um, you, know, you know, much less stigmatization. And there's right. much less, uh, there's almost no difference between Netherlands statistics and U.S. statistics. You know, so stigmatization can't be the whole answer. Anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, wonderful. Father Robert Spitzer is my guest tonight on Trending with Timmy. My name's Patrick Conley. we got to take another short break, Father, but we got more to talk about so we're going to do that right now, and when we come back, we're going to jump, we're going to dive in, jump in uh, to other topics. So we'll be right back on trending. Stay with us. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Trending with Timory, where it's happy hour, happy hour Monday. My name is Patrick Conley. Happy to sit in for Timory tonight. And the show is produced by Jim Schaefer. And Patrick Alog is on the phones as well. And my guest tonight. Father Robert Spitzer, SJPHD, who has just released his third in a trilogy of books. Um, this third one is The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, and it's a defense of her controversial moral teachings, not just from the from within the context of the faith itself, but also, Father, you were leading us through a number of scientific, secular studies that have been done um, for many years in other countries around the world that um, just would only seek to affirm that when we pursue these things that are outside God's will for us, they actually do not contribute to our happiness, but they detract from it. They um, they pull us into those types of lives that are not the same. And I guess, Father, I wanted to, I mean, there's many things we could talk about, but um, one of the things that strikes me is the whole pornography issue, which is it promises a lot. I mean, it promises good feelings. It promises that pleasure, that kind of that level one happiness that you were talking about. Um, but it can start to warp how we even view the whole image of sexuality. Um, why don't you Why don't you lead us into some of the things that you found while investigating that particular issue? Yeah, I, I probably used about fifty different studies, but uh, the one myth you know to dispel is that pornography is a victimless sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, for all intents and purposes, there are good. Um, studies now that show that the more a person looks at pornography, the the more they will become increasingly depressed. So longer time spent, more depression. Alternatively, too, uh, or I mean, uh, looking at the opposite way around, if you spend more time reading pornography, you can expect your religious life to simply start dissembling. In other words, you can expect that you will have a decrease in prayer time, decrease in participation um, in religious uh, services or practices, and then finally your atheism rate will go up. 
And in fact, the more you look at it, you will probably find that um, you will go straight down to zero in participation in religious services and prayer um, and Bible reading and for um, your atheism rate that it'll skyrocket to to almost unbelief. So this it's not good for your religious life. But what's interesting that, that what you intimated, uh, Patrick, was you were saying you know that it could ruin your um, you know your emotional life, and it does. I mean, pornography so adversely affects your. Um, uh, you know, your emotional, your capacity for emotional intimacy, that if you let it, if you keep going long enough, well, by the way, it's the most highly addictive, um, and certainly the newest, but most highly addictive um, uh, thing that you can uh, get into, so that we have moved um, from alcoholism and drug abuse, you know, at five and six respect, uh, percent respectively uh, in the population. Uh, pornography is now up to 115 to 12% addiction. And even if you're just in reading pornography for over two to three hours a day, expect the following to happen. First, expect that your wife uh, will not experience, you know, the, the real love, the compassion, and the closeness uh, that she needs uh, from you, or vice versa. If you're, you know, women can also read pornography. But the point that is clear is that the emotional intimacy level um, uh, is so decreased that um, that uh, divorce becomes two to two point five times more prominent. In addition to that, the children do not feel the same emotional intimacy with a person who is, um, you know, addicted uh, to pornography. Furthermore, the, um, you know, a 1.6% uh, increase, um, uh, uh, you know, of um, uh, job loss. So you are, you know, putting your job at risk as well. Because, you know, employers can find, um, you know, evidence of pornography use as the addiction grows, got to have some at work, etc. Once these things happen, the job loss and the financial risk uh, goes up significantly. Risky sexual behavior goes up significantly. Sexual aggressivity goes up significantly. And frankly, uh, criminal arrest goes up, um, uh, you know, uh, um, two to about 1.2%, which, you know, criminal arrest, that's pretty serious. Uh, yeah. you know, so, but um, the, the point is, you know, when you're really looking at uh, these things, um, I mean, 1.2 times, not percent, uh, 1.2 times oh, and all of yeah. those numbers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, much, much higher. Sorry, uh, 1.2 times. So when you're really looking at all of these things, what, is it, what does it all mean? It, it just means that pornography, it, there's something horribly dark and wrong with it. As almost as, you know, Patrick Madrid might say, it's almost like uh, creating, um, you know, a uh, a doorway for the devil to come right on right. in. And yeah. he does. He ruins his marriages. He ruins emotional stability and, and, and maturity. He ruins the capacity for love. And it's, you know, pornography is, is so prevalent. You know, I mean, so many of our young people are in it, and it stunts adolescence emotional maturation hugely. And uh, like I said, if you know, I've got um, in this book 43 pages of bibliography, and the reason is is because I had to use so many studies, but these <laughs> studies, they are just you know, you look at it, and I mean, it's so clear, so conclusive 
This stuff is terrible for you, terrible for your family, terrible for the people around you, terrible for your job performance. And in the end, all these things not only lead to terrible emotional health, a huge decline in spiritual health, um, you know, in, in religious practice, and a huge decline in marital satisfaction and an increase in divorce rates. So all I can say is, um, you know, uh, in, uh, if, if, you know, I don't need to quote a religious study. All of these things are borne out by secular studies very, very clearly. Um, and, uh, you know, as I say, university studies, et cetera. And right. so uh, I just rest my case there. I mean, abortion, you're kidding me. I mean, you know, today we don't have to ask whether or not, you know, a, a single-celled zygote is, is, a, is a full, you know, a substantially whole human being. We know for a fact that the single he has uh, that single-celled zygote, he or she has a complete human genome. And not only a complete human z- genome, but the zygote, that cell, that single cell, will become the foundation and the unity from which every other cell will spring forth. Every other cell will be unified to every other cell through that one little zygote cell for the rest of that new human being's life. So when you really look at it, of course we know it's a substantially whole human being. We're not going to add one more thing substantially to that human being beyond that zygote and that complete human genome. Yes, uh, there will be all kinds of developments. Yes, uh, there will be many cell divisions, but those cell divisions are according to the prescription of the genome in that one cell, zygote cell from which all other cells will spring. So you look at it and you say, well, yes, you're going to have a lot more development of that single cell, but is the substance complete? The substance is complete. The only thing that's being added on is a lot of cell multiplication, which frankly we call accidental or historically accidental or developmental increases. But no, the whole human substance is there. It's there. And that's why in an international um, survey of professional biologists, 96% of them believe that a new human life, in, in the international survey, that a new human life begins at conception or fertilization. Wow. And in the U.S. survey, which allowed uh, three other choices, um, 68% of U.S. professional biologists said that a new human life begins at fertilization or conception. Well, I mean, Father, we I, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to break in here, but we're down to our last few seconds of the show, if you can believe that. But uh, let me let me just take this opportunity, Father, to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your study, and publishing this book. Again, the book is "The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church: A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings" by Father Robert Spitzer, S.J. Ph.D., and recently published by Ignatius Press. You can check them out at Ignatius.com. Father Spitzer, I do give you thanks for being our guest on the show tonight. Join me tomorrow night on Trending with Timory, where I'll be talking with a priest friend of mine. We're talking about conversion and discernment. Thanks for joining us this time. Family Rosary Across America is up next. Stay tuned. 
You know, the word is spreading around America. This is the go-to place if you've got a prayer and you want the whole country praying for it. So I invite people to join us every night for the Family Rosary Across America Live. 7 p.m. Central. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio.